Uh, good morning to everybody. It is uh, great to be back with you. Good morning to those who are watching online as well. Uh, always love coming to uh, my extended family here in Barrie. Spent uh, eight, almost eight years from 2002 to 2010 uh, as part of this church community. And uh, I'm so grateful for that and for my friendship with Pastor Todd and with Cheryl. And uh, yes, I didn't bring my family, but, uh, but you know, sometimes you got to leave the circus at home, okay? So that's, that's, it's all good. Uh, I've got four kids, 13-year-old twin boys, 11-year-old boy, and an eight-year-old, or nine-year-old girl now. So uh, we're in a fun season of life. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. Isaiah, chapter 58. And uh, if you were with us back in September when I, I came in, um, we started in, into this chapter together. We started a, a little series that I'm calling Do Justice and talking about what it looks like for God's people to be committed to justice. And we were reminded um, from the book of Micah that Micah chapter 6 verse 8 calls us to this. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? It's a good question to ask. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So to be followers of Jesus Christ means to love what God loves, to do what God's called us to do, and this includes the call to do justice. So last time we looked at the justice from the perspective of our relationships, that to seek the right, what is right and good begins with our relationships. We need to be in right relationships, first with God, vertically, through faith in Jesus Christ, And then the overflow of that is right relationships on a horizontal level with those around us seeking to be those that pursue peace and reconciliation uh, as much as possible. This is part of what it means to be people of justice. This morning we're going to look at justice now from a different angle, look at the diamond of justice from a different with a different set of light on it now, and we're going to talk about the ministry of mercy and compassion, to do justice through radical compassion to which we've all been called. I want to start uh, with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon once wrote this. He said, Churches are not made that men of ready speech may stand up on Sundays and talk and so win daily bread from their admirers. No, there's another end in aim for this. These places of worship are not built so that you may sit comfortably and hear something that will make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. A church which does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kettles of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its longer existing. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, and to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. Wow. Strong and provocative words that I'll leave you to wrestle with this morning. But here's the point that Spurgeon is making, and we're going to see this straight out of God's word this morning, is that one of the distinguishing marks of God's people is that they are committed to pursuing justice by caring for and standing with the poor. That it's not just enough to come on a Sunday morning or, or log in online and, and, and check the box of, of a Sunday morning service or to do your daily devotions or to join a small group. As, as much of all those things is super important. But we need to engage in the work for Christ as well. And that part of that work is the work of justice through radical mercy and compassion towards 
those around us. And so as we turn to Isaiah chapter 58 and we pick up at verse 6 where we left off last time, this exactly is what we're going to see from the scriptures. And here's the point of of our message this morning. It's this. To be people of justice means to engage in radical, Christ-centered ministry of mercy and compassion. That's what it means to do justice. To engage in Christ-centered ministry of mercy and compassion. Let me read uh, to you from Isaiah chapter 58. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. We'll pray and then we'll dive into this together. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Cry aloud and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And then God says this, verse 6, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Verse 11, and the Lord will, con- will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is God's word uh, to us this morning. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for speaking to us through the scriptures. Thank you that as we look into this book, we hear your voice. And I pray that God, we would hear it clearly this morning. I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts and we wouldn't just hear your word, but we would be doers of it, Lord. That you would teach us what it means to do justice, what it means to care for the the poor and the destitute. And that, Lord, it would become a burning passion within us. I pray you would use me this morning, God, to explain clearly what you've said. And I pray that ultimately the focus would be on you, Jesus. You are the one. You are the answer. You are all that we need, and we look to you again this morning and pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. I'm not assuming that you remember what we talked about back in September, so let me just set back up this passage for you and give you a little bit of context. 
uh, remember that uh, God is speaking to his people and he's, he's bringing a bit of a tough word to them, as you'll notice there in verse 1. Uh, he's not overly happy with them at all uh, because of what they're doing. And it's interesting because as you look at what you're doing, it sort of seems like you're doing a lot of good stuff. They're, they're seeking him. They're delighting in him. They're not forsaking his judgments, verse 2. They're drawing near. They're praying. And yet God isn't happy with it. From the outward perspective, from the outward standpoint, they're doing all the things they should be doing. But the problem here is that they're, it's not rooted in a right relationship with God. God sees past the outward appearance. He looks at their hearts and he doesn't see what, he, what he's looking for in them. And he rejects it. This religious activity is smoke and mirrors. It's not rooted in a relationship with him. And, and, and furthermore, it wasn't affecting anything else around them. The relationships they had with others uh, the rest of the week. And so as we look into this next section, verses 6 through 12, we're going to see a bunch of if and then statements that will sort of shape our message this morning. God says, if you do this instead, then this will happen. If you pursue radical Christ-centered ministry and compassion to the poor and destitute around you, this is how I will respond. And so let's begin then by looking at the if side, which is our responsibility, and then we'll move to the then, which is God's response. So let's start this morning with our responsibility. If you're taking notes, our responsibility is this. We are to seek to bring freedom to the oppressed and to be generous to the poor and destitute. This is what it means to do justice in this sense, to bring freedom to the oppressed and to be generous to the poor and destitute. Now, before we dig into that, I want to just pause for a second and address a concern or, a, or an objection that sometimes comes up in the conservative part of Christianity that, that we would be a part of. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, it's a great book uh, that I recommend, uh, he talks about this tension. And he says this. He says, In the 20th century, the American church divided between the liberal mainline that stressed social justice and the fundamentalist churches that emphasized personal salvation. In the mind of many, he goes on to say, Orthodox Christians, therefore, doing justice is inextricably linked with the loss of sound doctrine and spiritual dynamism. So the point that he's making is, somehow this conversation about justice has become very divisive. Uh, you've got one side saying, the liberal side saying, you guys aren't actually doing anything very well. You're, you're not doing any good works for the poor. And the other side is saying, yeah, but you've abandoned sound doctrine and, and the gospel. And, and so it's, there's not this great division. The conservatives are looking at the liberals with suspicion because they've abandoned the gospel and, and, and sound doctrine. The other side's looking back at us saying, yeah, you've got all the boxes checked on your doctrinal statement. And, and uh, but you're not doing anything for the poor and for the hungry and for the helpless around you. And it's become this either-or thing that is not what we were looking for. You know, I, in my role with Prison Fellowship Canada, I do uh, I have the opportunity to sit down with local church pastors, uh, less so now. But when, when we do, you know, we're sitting over a cup of coffee. One of my favorite questions to ask a pastor is tell me about your ministry of mercy and compassion locally and, and globally. What's your church doing? What does justice in this sense look like? And, you know, as, as a ministry, as an organization, Prison Fellowship Canada, we're, our mission is to equip and mobilize the local church community to engage in, in restorative ministry to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and their families. And so I care a lot about this question because I want to know what, what churches are up to in this area. And one of the questions from, t- one of the answers from time to time that I get is something like this. They say, well, John, it's a good question, but our church, man, we are just, we're just about the gospel. 
And, and we are just, man, we're preaching the gospel. We're focused on the gospel. We don't have much going on for the poor and the homeless and the widow and the orphan or the prisoner in your case. We're leaving that for others because we're just focused on the gospel. And I get that line of thinking in some ways because I'm a gospel guy. I mean, my life has been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope yours has too. I mean, we can't lose sight of that in any ways. But to abandon everything else because of that is, is just an incomplete way of thinking. Keller goes on in this book uh, to describe it this way. He says, and this is so helpful, he says, a heart poured out in deeds of mercy and justice to the poor is the inevitable sign that you've been justified. That justice is actually the fruit of your justification. And think about it. If you've personally encountered and been transformed by the gospel, if you've come to this point where you have come face to face with your spiritual poverty and your brokenness and your need for a savior and you've experienced the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of Jesus, if, if that has flo- flowed into you, his life has now flowed into you through the spirit, then the inevitable outcome of that now will be a heart that pours that back out upon people around you through radical mercy and compassion. It's not either or. It's not justice or justification. It's both. It's we've been justified, therefore we go and pour ourselves out in the work of justice. Does that make sense? And that's what God is calling us to. So what does that look like? What does that look like from Isaiah chapter 58? What does it mean for us as God's people to be those who've been justified to fulfill our responsibility to pursue ministry in this way? Notice in verse 6 that it begins with seeking to bring freedom to those who are oppressed. Verse 6 says, is this not the fast that I choose? So God's saying, here's what I'm looking for. To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Do you see the freedom that's kind of going through that verse? God is saying, he's saying, listen, there's poor and, and, and helpless people around you. And they're trapped in the bonds and, and chains of wickedness. It says they're, they're tied up in the straps of the yoke that are around them. And God wants to see those loosened. He wants them undone. He wants these, these straps broken. He wants the oppressed to go free. And the people instead were mistreating them and crushing them. And God says, no, I want freedom to come to them in Jesus' name. And, and in our world, we need freedom, don't we? We need to see freedom. And first and foremost, we need to see the freedom from the oppression that comes from sin. Romans 6 talks about how through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been set free from sin. That there is no condemnation, Romans 8, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all the shame, all the condemnation is gone. We've been set free from the power and the penalty of sin because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. That's what the world needs first and foremost. That's what the prisoner needs first and foremost. But oppression also takes other forms as well. Often the result of sin. Racial oppression. Economic oppression. Poverty. Human trafficking. Abuse. Mental illness. Physical disabilities. These are things that are weighing people down. They're, they're oppressing them in some ways. And Christ cares about those things too. Thinking about the prisoner, if you were to drive up Highway 11 today and and go up to Gravenhurst. I don't know if you know this, but there's two large federal prisons right off the highway uh, near Gravenhurst. Interestingly, they back on to the airport there, which is probably poor city planning on my part, but um, not on my part, but in, in general. 
But um, if you were to go up there and, and meet some of the prisoners, or if you were to go west and head up to Panatanguishene, the Central North Correctional, which is a provincial jail there, uh, you would meet folks that are dealing with oppression. First and foremost, the oppression of sin, but then all sorts of other op- op- oppression as well. Let me tell you a little bit about it. 70 to 80% of prisoners have a problem with su- substance abuse that doesn't go away when they get inside. The majority of people in custody have witnessed family violence as a child or have been involved in the child welfare system. Mental illness rates are four to seven times higher in prison than they are in the community. 20 to 30% of male and female prisoners have reported uh, being sexually abused as a child. Those are those who've reported it. The percentages are actually much higher, almost double or triple that. More than one in five have attempted suicide in their life. And 15 to 20% of Aboriginal or Indigenous peoples in custody have attended residential schools. Why am I telling you that? Not to excuse behavior, but to explain to you some of the oppression that people are under as they try to walk out their journey and seek freedom from it. I remember talking to a a former prisoner and, and asking him directly, why do you continue to shoot up? Why are you doing that? You know it's not helping you. And his answer was, it's the only thing that numbs my pain. He needs freedom. He needs hope. He needs freedom from the oppression. And we look at Jesus and we see in his ministry setting people free. He would look at people and he'd say, your sins are forgiven. He could say that because Jesus is God. And he would do that. He would set people free and declare them forgiven of their sins. But then in other places, and you see this through the book of Mark in particular, people uh, that are facing demonic oppression. And Jesus would walk up to young children or to to men that that have been demonically oppressed and, and he would set them free in a word because he's God. In Luke chapter 13, a woman who'd been disabled for 18 years, you know what Jesus said to her? He said, you're freed from your disability. And she was free. Jesus was all about bringing freedom. In fact, when he began his ministry, recorded in Luke chapter 4, he grabbed the book of Isaiah, the scrolls. And he, and he read, not from this chapter that we're in, but from a couple chapters later, Isaiah chapter 61, he said this, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus had come to bring freedom to those who were oppressed. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to do the same. This is what it means to do justice, is is to bring that same freedom through Jesus Christ to others in whatever form that they're dealing with it. But notice back in Isaiah chapter 58, it's not just uh, bringing freedom to the oppressed, but it's also seeking to be generous to the poor and destitute. Look back with me at verse 7 in your Bibles. God is describing what he wants, the fast that he wants them to choose. And he says in verse 7, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And then if you jump down to verse 10, he says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the the desire of the afflicted. What, What is God saying to his people right here? He's calling them to be concerned for the poor around them. He's saying, hey, it's great that you're taking the Sabbath. 
I actually made that up. That was my thing. And I'm getting you to do that. It's really good you're doing that. But what if while you're taking your Sabbath rest and while you're fasting as a part of that, why don't you take the food that you're not eating it, eating and give it to, to somebody who's hungry? And, and when you do that, why don't you just invite them into your home and have, give them a meal? And while, while they're eating, why don't you go up to your closet and get all those clothes that you're not wearing because you're not going to work right now because of the pandemic and, and just give all that stuff away to people who, who could really use some clothes right now. Why don't you go and be generous to the poor? This is the kind of fast that I would choose, God says. This is what I'm looking for. I looked it up this week in, in Simcoe County and Barry Aurelia area, approximately 13, 12, 13% or more of households in this area are considered low income, which I think may be slightly higher than the average rate across the country. And at Prison Fellowship Canada, we know that, that homelessness and, and low income and poverty is a big issue for somebody who's seeking to integrate back into society and, and be successful. We have learned that, you know, if you don't get a, f- a stable job and a stable place to live in, within 30 days, and if you don't get some stable community around you within that first month, almost guaranteed you're back inside. And we're going to do this whole thing again. It's so important. And these men and women facing addictions and facing mental illness and, and trying to find a job with a criminal record, it's just this major mountain that they need to climb if they don't have anybody supporting them. And so what's the answer? The answer is the church. The answer is God's people who are willing to embrace their responsibility to seek to bring freedom to the oppressed and to care for the poor and destitute around them. John writes it this way in 1 John 3. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Put your money where your mouth is, is what he's saying. James chapter 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, He says, For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. What's the point? The point is that justice is the fruit of justification. That to be a follower of Jesus Christ means to take responsibility, your God-given responsibility to serve the poor and destitute around you. It means to share practically care and concern to those who are on the margins. And so what does that look like? And what can you and I do to own that responsibility more and more? You know, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with this church for lots of different reasons. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this church is, is that this church community gets this. You get it. You, uh, you know, you, you've got the 5,000 hours campaign. You've got your ministry partnerships locally with the Food Bank and Bayside Mission. Prison Fellowship Canada is counted, uh, a privilege to be counted as one of your ministry partners as well. You know, and we're running our Angel Tree Christmas campaign right now where we're buying gifts for children who have a parent who's incarcerated and just trying to create some restorative connections this Christmas and let them know they're not forgotten. And I know there's people 
watching or in this room right now who signed up to, hey, well, I can do that because I care about that in this way. And, you know, at Prison Fellowship, it's such an interesting season with this pandemic. All volunteers across Canada, with the exception of one or two places, have been told you can't go into jail and work with guys and women there. And so, in the Lord's goodness and grace, he gave us a new phone program and said, we'll just get guys to call you then. And so we have this new prison fellowship by phone program where guys can call a toll-free number. They don't have to pay anything and they get routed through like a call center approach to one of the Prison Fellowship Canada volunteers on call who can pray with them and, and encourage them from the scriptures and, and listen to them about the things that they're struggling with. There are opportunities even in this season to do justice by caring for the poor and the destitute and by bringing freedom to those who are oppressed. So here's my challenge to you this morning as we talk about our responsibility. Continue on this path. Don't wander off it. Continue to lean into the work of justice in, the, in this way. And if, and if you're not part of this right now, then I would challenge you to find a way to get involved. Find a way to take your work for Christ here at Harvest and, and include the work of justice in some way. It's what God has called us to. It's the responsibility that we have as his people. And as we do that, notice back to the text, God's response. We've talked about the if side, if we do our responsibilities. Here's how then God will respond. He'll respond with favor and blessing. Mercy and compassion invites God's favor and blessing in our lives. And let me show you this from the scriptures, verse 8. God has described what he wants. He says, if you do all these things, verse 7, verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Verse 9, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. And down in verse 11, he says, and the, sorry, in verse 10, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday and the Lord will guide you continually, verse 11, and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What's happening here? What's happening is, is that God is using some incredible imagery to describe the blessing and favor that he has prepared to pour out upon his people who take up the call to do justice by caring for the poor and destitute and bringing freedom to those who are oppressed. And the principle here is that when we love what God loves and when we do what he's called us to do, when we follow in his ways and pursue the things that he says are important, we invite God's favor and blessing into our lives. And this includes the pursuit of justice. Now, this wasn't new to them when they got this word originally. Deuteronomy chapter 15, uh, verses 7 through 10, it was laid out very clearly. God had said this. He said, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is, your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and, and lead him sufficient for his need, lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year the year release is near and your eye looks grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely 
and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. If we do what God calls us to do, we invite his favor and blessing in our lives. Now notice back to our text here what that looks like. Let me show you four parts of the blessing that God describes here of what his favor and blessing looks like. Verse 8 Notice this idea of light breaking forth. He says, then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. And the language that's being used here is similar to a couple chapters later in Isaiah 60 where it says, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So the favor and blessing that God is describing here is that as we care for the poor and the oppressed, as we're generous, as we engage in this work of justice, God's light begins to shine in us and through us to the world around us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. It helps with the mission that we're all called to do. Notice secondly in verse 8 that God's blessing includes his presence and protection uh, over his people. God says, then your light break forth like the dawn, your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and speaking of wickedness. So God is, people are wondering, why is God not responding to our worship and to our prayers right now? And God is saying, hey, when you care for the poor, you won't have any, any concern about wondering if I'm with you in that. Because my heart is for the poor. And when you're generous and you're seeking to bring freedom to people, here I am. There I am. This is part of my favor and blessing. Notice thirdly in verse 11 that God's blessing here includes his promise of guidance and his supply of strength and satisfaction. Verse 11, it says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Do you ever have those moments when you're just feeling spiritually dry? God's saying, hey, if you go out and engage in the work of justice, do justice in the name of Jesus, you're going to feel this fresh sense of vitality beginning to grow within you. It's going to feel like you left the the sprinkler on all night on your lawn and you're just walking through the the waters of my presence in your life because I'm there. That's what he's calling us to. That's part of his blessing and favor as we pour ourselves out for the hungry. And fourthly, notice that God's promise includes his promise of restoration of what is broken. Look at verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. A couple months ago, my wife and I decided that it's time to finish our basement. We've got teenage boys now and another one not too far away from that and our daughter as well and we're at the stage in parenting where love our kids desperately but when they're all in the same room playing video games sometimes I just want them downstairs in the basement you know what I'm saying so somebody nod your head as a parent and say I understand yeah no okay thank you so 
we're going to finish our basement. And so we were getting ready to do that. And we came down one day and there was this big, massive puddle of water in one of the corners of the basement. And I don't know a lot about anything, but I know that that's not good. And so we called a contractor and then we said, what's going on? And he said, you have a leak. <laughs> Thank you so much. How much do I owe you? And, but the, the fix was, we got to dig out the foundations of our house on the outside which if you've ever done that, is not a small job and it's not a cheap job, but you got to do it. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting water in the house. And so we had to spend the money of, of fixing this breach in our home, this, this, this leak of water. And, and now we're going to figure out when we'll actually do this basement. But here's the point. God is in the, is in the business of restoration. Amen? God has the ability to restore all that is broken through his power in our lives as we trust in him. And you've seen this, I'm sure. But he restores relationships that are broken. God can take a life that has been ruined by sin and he can rebuild it and raise it up and repair it and restore it and redeem it for his purposes and for his glory. This is what we tell prisoners who are struggling for hope and saying, how could God love me? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know how many times I've been in and out of this place? And we say, no, 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 there's hope. Because God has the ability to restore, rebuild, and repair the breaches and to bring you hope in Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says that whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. The point is, is that when we pursue the things that God loves and that he calls us to do, God promises to respond with favor and blessing in our lives. And that favor is not something that's entitled to us, that he owes us like a paycheck, but rather he's the one who decides what that's going to look like and when it's going to happen. It's all part of his grace. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And the context of that verse is about being generous and meeting the needs of people around us. So where do we go with this? If we do our part, God responds. What does that mean then for us today? Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man. He has told you, O woman, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And I want to invite you this morning to take another step forward, like Spurgeon described, into the slums and dens and kettles of the city. Barry is a place where prisoners get released to. That's where they go in a lot of times. And we need people who are not afraid to roll up their sleeves and get messy and become a, a Christ-centered community that can journey with people. I want to invite you to ask the Lord to take you out of your comfort zone in some way. And show you how you can take up this responsibility to do justice by bringing freedom to the oppressed and by being generous to the poor. I want to challenge you to find a way to do that more fully as part of your work for Christ today, this week, and in the weeks to come. But I also want to invite you this morning to take some time again to stare and ponder the cross of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for you. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And the reality is that 
God in his mercy and compassion looked at me and he looked at you in our most helpless moment and he said, I'm not going to write these people off. I'm not going to ignore them. I'm going to come to them. I'm going to take on flesh as Jesus Christ did and I'm going to walk the road with them and I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die on the cross in their place and then I'm going to rise again and defeat sin and death and I'm going to give them the opportunity to experience life and freedom forever with me. This is God's grace towards us and this is the grace that motivates us to go out and to share that with others. It's the gospel that stirs us up to send it on to others as well. And so as we look back to the text, I want you to look at one final phrase as we close here. And it's in verse 14, a verse I didn't read this morning. But it says this. It says, Then you shall take delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And that's really the answer to the question that we're, we're trying to deal with. What do I do with justice? Here's the first thing you need to do. Don't try harder. Just go delight yourself in the Lord. Stare at Jesus. See all that he's done for you in, in his grace towards you. And as that washes over you again, it'll just start flowing back out of you. You won't even have to worry about doing justice because you'll just start doing it because you've been so transformed and so grateful for what God has done in you. And so may that be so of you. May that be so of me. May that be so for all of us as the people of God today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. God, I deserve nothing of what you've given me. And yet you have poured it out so rich and so full. Thank you for that. Thank you for the hope and for the grace and for the love and for the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ today. And I pray for anybody in this room or watching that doesn't yet know you. I pray that even now as I pray, the Spirit of God would open their eyes and they would just get washed with the grace of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we delight ourselves in you again today, that you would overflow that love into the lives of people around us. You give us opportunities to serve and to be generous and to point people to the hope and the freedom that's found in you. Help us, God, to do that. And would you, Jesus, get all the glory and all the praise for it. Thank you that you hear these prayers. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.